0: Good morning, it's great to be with you this morning to talk to you in this series about A Broken World, A Better Way, about how faith impacts our family life. My name is Peter Buckland and I have been married for 37 years to my lovely wife, Vanna. We have three children, yeah, you can clap for her because I'm hard to deal with sometimes. We have three great children, Audrey, Austin, and Alex. Alex. You know, when I was about your age, for most of you that are sitting here, my 20s, I had some vague notion about what family life would be like and what what an in Christ family should be like. I didn't grow up in a great family. My dad was an alcoholic. He didn't go to church. My mom took us to church. It happened to be one of the best legalistic churches around, you would be proud of us. We knew all the right things to do and all the wrong things not to do. And uh, we were pretty judgmental about all of that. So we kind of had a system of right and wrong, but we didn't have a relationship really with the God who was supposed to help us to live out his great love story of the gospel with the world. Well, when my wife and I got engaged and married at age 23, uh, she was willing to agree with me to not have children until I could figure out a little bit better about kind of a dad I wanted to be because I wasn't very pleased with my family life and my wife was very gracious about that and so we waited and uh, when Vanna was 31 and I was 30, we had Audrey and then our real education began. We went from theory to actually figuring out what an in Christ family would be like. And today, I wanna give you some of what I have learned along the way Because your story might be a little bit like mine, where you're sitting here thinking, well, what does this really look like? There might be some areas of your family life that you wanna continue on. There might be some areas that you would like to change. But at this stage of the game, you might be thinking, well, how could I actually do that? I didn't figure out until probably my early 30s some of what I wanna talk to you about today. And so I wanna give you a little bit of a head start. But I wanna start by asking you, what do you think about When you hear the word family, well, I immediately go to two funny stories with my kids something about clothes and children. I don't know what it is. Alex was our all boy boy, he was our athlete, and he hated to get dressed up and wear anything nice at all. And one day we put him in one of the nicest sweaters that we had, and he was very upset with us and crying. And he walked out of his room and he said, as only about a four year old can, I hate hairy shirts. In my mind, because it's kind of like sick, went to hair coming out all over everywhere. And I tried not to laugh at him while he was being so straightforward with us about having to get dressed up. Well, Audrey, who's very much like um, Alex in that way, she was our tomboy, hated to get all dressed up, and we got her all gussied up and ready to go somewhere, and she was wearing tights and a dress and everything, and she came out about age six, and she loudly proclaimed at the top of her lungs, tights are my worst nightmare. I thought, oh, honey, you got more nightmares coming than tights. That's all I have to say. I also think about the value of family. I mean, if you think about how important family is in the world, family socializes our children. It provides us daily support so that we can get through life. It regulates sexual activity and reproduction. It develops a personal and social identity. And it gives us roles that we can use to accomplish all of these tasks. But even beyond that, I think about faith and family. And family is a laboratory of life where family and life and faith commingle together. It's where faith is lived out every single day in a broken, imperfect world. And it's a place where brokenness can yield to a better way. And that better way that I wanna talk to you about is encompassed with a great big umbrella concept of abundance. Jesus told us that he wanted to give us a life of abundance and so I've taken on a license with John chapter 10 verse 10 and I made my own Peter Buckland amplified version and it says this, I have come that they may have life and have it so abundantly that they would never expect to have such a great experience. See the reason that I became a Christian at age 13 was that I wanted a better experience. I actually believed the scripture. I believed that there was a God who could impact my life in such a way that I could have a better life, a more fulfilling life, a life that had a greater purpose to it. And as I think about Jesus' words in John chapter 10, he was speaking to an oppressed people and I felt oppressed a lot of times growing up within my own family. But you see that When you take a look at a sense of abundance, Jesus is talking about becoming like him and having his character in every life circumstance. And so Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, gives us a summary of what some of these qualities would look like in abundance. They're familiar to you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So nicely said by the children on the video, as best as they could remember it. But when you think about this, no family, no spouse, no child wants the opposite. They don't want to live in a house that is full of indifference and bitterness and conflict, impatience, rudeness, immorality, betrayal, harshness, and selfishness. That's the brokenness of the world and we can all share stories of people we know or our own lives where we've had that sense of brokenness. And so I want to give you the high ideal of Jesus that he has said to you, I want to come into your life and I want to create this sense of abundance, this sense of me that is seen in your character, not in your possessions, not in your power, not in your position, because those will wax and wane through your life, but in who you are in me. So how does that happen? I've really thought long and hard about how to take complex ideas and make them simple, and so I want to give you three steps, if you will, today, about how God can show you the better way of abundance within your family life. It comes from Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven. Hear these words of Paul. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is Paul's first command in Colossians. And what he's telling us is is he's giving us a way to live our lives so that we can remember in the complexity of everything that's going on that there are three areas that we can focus on. One is to be rooted, the second is to be built up, and the third is to overflow with gratitude. So let's use this as our template to look at a better way of family life. So our first point is in being rooted. How are we rooted? We are rooted in the great commandments. Being rooted in the great commandments grounds our love, our emotional attachments, our energy and focus in Christ who holds us together. You're familiar with the two that we'll be talking about. Here is the first one, the great commandment about loving God and loving others. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Why is this the first? Well, God knows that every healthy relationship is reciprocal. There's a give and take in every relationship. And God gives first, and then we respond back to him. And this is where our attachment is formed with him. This is so critical, without this attachment, without this sense that God loves us and he cares about us, that he is a good, good father, that he is a good, good savior, that he is a a good, good Holy Spirit within us, we could walk away. In fact, as I have watched people struggle with their own faith, it is this point right here that they struggle the most with. So I wanna ask you, how are you doing with your attachment with God? This is the critical element where he said, I will order your life in Christ, but we have to have a relationship. John 15, 15 says that it's like a friend. It's a relationship that allows for you to have this capacity to love others. I don't know about you, but sometimes people are pretty hard to love, right? I don't know about you. If you've ever held a two-year-old right up here next to you, and that two-year-old feels this little trapeze muscle right here and then decides to chomp down on it, that's pretty hard to love. Alex had the spiritual gift of biting and he bit all the way from the time that he was two, three, four, five, six, and 10. Oh yes, 10. He got really mad and he went wailing on his brother at age 10. I can tell you that I needed to love him more than the way that I felt about him in that moment. You know, you know that our most intimate and closest relationships can bring out the worst in us, right? They absolutely can. And yet we don't ever want to live that way or be that way. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit and the opposite. Nobody wants to live in a house of violence. Nobody wants to live in a house of yelling. Yet we can have that emerge within us with the people that we love the most. The reason that God gave us the first and the second greatest commandment was that he knew that this is what would hold us together. Because we would be invested in him and he would be invested in us and he would help us to grow and be able to move forward. I hate snarky talk. And as you know, God uses family life to help you to grow in holiness, to be like Jesus. So I got a child that had the spiritual gift of snarky backtalk. Oh yes, oh yes. We actually have a contract. It is in my office where I signed it with Austin that I would not yell at him if he would not be snarky and backtalk to me. It is signed, it is sealed, and it is delivered. And I learned how not to yell because I had a snarky back talking son. God will teach you holiness. You don't have to be afraid of your family. You don't have to be afraid of life because God is with you to help you to grow to be like Jesus when you fail. It's not about failing and giving up. It's about recognizing the limitation that you have and that you need the Holy Spirit and God to hold you together. You see, this first and second greatest commandment will give you the emotional energy to treat your spouse and children in the way that the scripture wants you to, to go the extra mile, to forgive an infinite amount of times, to keep your heart open to them, and to be interested in what they have to say and consider it when you make decisions. Well, here's the second. Big commandment, it's the great commission. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know, there are two components in here that are lived out in family life. The first is initiate, go. The second is to disciple. Disciple your own children and the people that are around you. You know, your family can become a welcoming place for other people. It becomes the oasis in an appropriate way for people to come in and see what it is like to live a life that is centered around Jesus. It's one of the most amazing blessings and gifts that you can have is to share the light of the world. It's like your house is a little oasis in a sea of craziness. It's a point of light in in a sea of darkness. And as a result, people come in and they love it. My wife had a personal ministry of chocolate chip cookies, She loves people by making them fat. And so I go to the gym and I work on the treadmill so that I can let my wife love me appropriately. (laughs) If you were to ever come and see our house and come by to see us, she would immediately start to feed you. Oh, we had neighbor children out the wazoo. We had so many people that knew my wife that some of our children's friends even argued on the bus as to which one my wife liked the most. Imagine arguing with kids we don't even know about who my wife loves the most. Because she understood that when you initiate relationships and you show the hospitality of God in the intimate moments of being a family, that those are deeply meaningful. Your family becomes that point where you can share your faith more safely because you're controlling the environment. It also is a place to disciple your children. It's a place to have spiritual conversations. It's a place to pray with them. It's a place where you can work with them through their fears. It's a place where you can let them jump in your bed in a thunderstorm and you can pray with them and show you that you are the representative of somebody who keeps them secure because eventually they're gonna transfer that on to their heavenly father as our good, good father. It's where we prioritize our family life. So I just wanna step on a few toes in here This is the place where we learn how not to be addicted to social media. This is the place where we learn how to measure our communications with people so that we don't lose touch with those that are around us. This is where we practice good communication. This is where we stay away from internet addictions. This is where we learn that relationships are incredibly important and that we're not gonna use the screen as the babysitter. Oh, these are super huge issues within our culture today. But if you are serious about being world changers, if you're serious about having your family be this place where people can come and actually interact and get value, that's how we get it, then we have to limit some of the options that would remove those from us. Of course, having a family like this, you have to have wisdom. You need to know who can be in your house and who shouldn't be in your house and how to manage that and never leave them alone until they're older and then you still take a risk because there are consequences. Uh, we left our kids alone one time with some of their friends and they decided they'd play tag in our house. They were like 15 and 16 years old. We figured they would be mature enough to know that they had to guard the furniture, but no, 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 no. We had one of our friend, one of our kid's friends, who was built more like a rhino than a gazelle, who decided that he was going to leap over the back of our sectional in its most vulnerable place and little curve, and instead of flying over it, he went right through it and destroyed the entire frame. While well, we were gone. It's about a $3,000 couch system. And so we were gone. We came home, and everybody was nice and calm. It seemed like everything went really well, but I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit is around in order to show you what your children are up to. So please don't disobey too much because the Holy Spirit is there to convict us of sin, and I just was right there, and... Right at that little curve was where I would always talk to my kids because it was really convenient. And so I leaned on that area thinking that it was perfectly fine. Nobody said no, don't. And I went completely tumbling over with my face, hitting the seat. And I looked over with my face smashed down at my son Austin, who was the closest child to me, and I said, What happened? And he gave me the famous words, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, to love your children, Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the times that you need to be prepared for because you wake up in the morning and you think you're gonna have a normal day and you don't. So I just had a conversation. with Everybody just sort of left and we had a conversation about not lying to keep your friends out of trouble. But the most important conversation we had was his friend was more important than a couch and that couch became a symbol of love. That's what the gospel does, is it changes and it orders and it prioritizes for you your life so that you will be remembered every time you lean on that couch, which I stopped doing after about the third time I crashed through, that we love people and we are for people and our furniture is a way that we create an environment for God. Well, not only are we rooted, but we are built up, and our families are built up in an environment of grace, truth, and wisdom, and this creates fertile ground for our faith. This is a blend of grace and truth and wisdom. In John chapter one, verse 14, John writes to us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And because nobody is really up for parenting kids all on their own, full of grace and truth, we're going to add James chapter 1 verse 5 to what we're talking about. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You see, truth is the standard by which we live by that the world presses against, that people need to see as relevant and how it works. And the grace is coming back home and being restored when something doesn't work the right way. It is the forgiveness over and over again and the teaching over and over again and the embracing and the loving over and over again that God would have for us. And the wisdom is selecting a good course of action. You see, this creates an environment which allows for faith to grow and develop. It is an environment of honesty and openness and vulnerability and safety. And yes, it is also an environment of discipline, a discipline that moves you forward into healthiness and is not used combatively against you. It is the place where we feel and embrace the tension of holiness in an unholy culture. It is where we feel and embrace the tension of love in an unloving culture. And it is where we feel and embrace the tension of listening and encouraging instead of name-calling and treating each other with contempt. It is the place where these particular values are taught. Don't let the culture make you less of the person Christ died for you to be. And don't let the culture convince you to walk away from life under the lordship of Jesus. That's what Paul is telling us. Remember the lordship of Jesus in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. If you live under your own lordship, you'll have results that you don't want. This environment that is created by grace and truth and wisdom is so necessary it is where the living of life daily is experienced where everything is mixed together for the glory of God well the third area is thankfulness or gratitude our families are to overflow with thankfulness this gives us energy and is a witness to God that we might be able to celebrate who he is in a culture that really does not recognize him I picked some verses that are interspersed throughout here that have to do with thankfulness and the first is First Chronicles 16, eight through nine. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts. Our homes are the place that we do that first and foremost. It is the place where discipleship happens, it's the place where family worship happens, it is the place where the name of Jesus is glorified on a daily basis for what he is doing and has done and will do in our lives. Robert Emmons, who is the world's premier expert on gratitude, explains that gratitude and thankfulness is comprised of two parts. Listen to this. It is the affirmation of goodness. We have a good, good Father God, a good, good Savior, Jesus, and a good, good advocate in the Holy Spirit. And they are worth celebrating is that we have goodness that we can celebrate. And the second is we recognize that the source of this goodness is outside of ourselves. Can't do it all on our own, and we rely on other people. When you are grateful for a friend who listens to you, when you're grateful for a comment given to you that really cheers you, when you're grateful for the way that God helps you, that gratitude forms an emotional foundation for you that gives you energy to keep you moving forward. You see. Gratitude moves us closer to God because we revel in his goodness and this creates the joy of the spirit. Joy of the spirit is your strength. Isn't that interesting? And gratitude is the method by which that is developed. And a household that understands the goodness of God and his investment in us is a household full of the energy of the gospel no matter what life circumstances are like and that God will reach into your life as you thank him and honor him for who he is and what he is doing in your life to make you like Jesus, even if you had a bad day, will give you the energy that you need to keep on going forward. You see, we don't ignore issues in our families. We celebrate the goodness of God while we work through those issues because it's way too easy to let the issues of the world make us negative and bitter. You see, family life is where this thankfulness of our salvation and the abiding presence of God meet our challenges. I remember one time that Audrey was super frustrated. She was getting ready to graduate from high school and she didn't get the ACT score that she wanted. She sat on the edge of her bed and she cried. She's extremely intelligent and she only got a 28. Go figure. She needed at least a 31 to get where she wanted to go. And she had tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And she was so smart that she was reaching the limits of what she could do on her own. And I remember sitting next to her when she said, Dad, I'm not going to be able to go to college because you can't afford it. And I just kind of chuckled, you know, and said, well, that's okay, you know, you see our house, we can go into hawk. we'll live in a tent, it'll be fine. And I said, you know, you have one more time to do this. So how about if we pray about this and you rest? you are smart enough, and if God sees fit to bless you, to get the score that you need, to get the scholarship you want, to go to the school that you are looking at, to do the things for him that you would like to do, then let it be in his hands, because you have tried and you have failed. She said, okay. So we prayed, I prayed with her um, for the, the two weeks before the test. She got up that morning, she went ahead and took the test, and she broke the average, and she got a 31 on her ACT. I don't know how this stuff happens, but I know who makes it happen. You see, God is there to respond to us in amazing ways, even in difficult times, so that we can become more and more like him. We see with eyes beyond the physical world, and our family, our children, need to know that there is somebody who we cannot see, who is involved with us. Three more verses to kind of cement this. Psalm 34, eight, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 28, seven, the Lord is my strength and my shield, in him my heart trusts and I am helped, my heart exalts and my song I give thanks to him. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I know that the world is full of anxiety and worry, and we need to talk about that, but please be talking to God about that, for he will, unbeknownst to you, help work in your soul in ways you can't see to help bring you to the place that you need to be, even if it takes longer than what you want. You see eyes of faith, don't ever give up on him, even when he moves more slowly than what we would like. Well, I know that even with an environment like this, with a family like this, that there are no guarantees that our children are gonna be faithful. There are no guarantees that our spouse is gonna stay with God for a lifetime. I need to admit to you that when this happens this is when we get to live out a part of the love story of God that nobody really wants and it is a love story that is talked about in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son and the loving father you see even being this close to God and having a relationship with him people could still not be attached I don't know how all of that happens but it does and we see it And people move away and they they choose to live under the authority of themselves. And, And while people are in our home, we can kind of work on that. But when they move away, it gets more difficult. And it really reminds us of this parable. And you and I play the role of the good father with our children, I just wanna use the context of kids because while you're thinking about having children, if one of your children begins to stray away, this is your parable. You are the one who loves and waits. You are the one who has open arms. You are the one who still initiates a good conversation. You are the one who takes these values and finds a way to make that work for your child while your child is the prodigal. You see, we keep the hospitality of God alive in our hearts Even when we watch and wait, we live the way back home so that when our children or whoever it is that we're working with comes and sees us, they still see the same amazing environment. God doesn't change. God receives us and God loves us and God cares us and we keep working on that over and over again and what I have noticed is that sometimes people get upset with how much a prodigal is loved and cared about. Well you see, Our families are where our love for God and our love for the family and the hospitality of the gospel mingle together on the front porch. And we leave the porch light on so that people can find their way back home. That's what God does for us. He leaves a porch light on and it's found in the scripture and it's seen in the church so that people can find their way back to him. So putting all of this together, what do you think about when you think about family? Oh, these are some of the things that I hope that you will think about about an amazing Jesus who intends to give you an abundant life full of the qualities that you long for, to have the kind of a family that honors him and lives in healthy ways. I want you to think about an amazing Jesus who meets us in our love for him and offers to give us a hospitable heart so that we can invite other people into the gospel through what we do within our families. I want you to think of an amazing Jesus who helps to create an environment of grace, truth, and wisdom. Wisdom so that you are able to live out your life in a way that makes sense for you and the people around you I want you to think about an amazing Jesus whose impact is so great That you overflow with gratitude for what he has done What he is doing and what he will do in your life and in your family life no matter what I want you to think about an amazing Jesus who helps you keep the porch light on Porch light on your own heart Porch light on your own church, porch light on your own family, so that when there is stress and strain, because you love God and you love the prodigal, and you have an environment of grace and truth and hospitality and wisdom, that you're ready to have that person experience it all over again. You see, this is the way that the broken way of family life is redeemed into the better way under the Lordship of Jesus Christ.